0: Well, good morning. good morning. Hope you're enjoying the, the day so far. We've had a great first service and life group hour and look forward to uh, spending time together with you in God's word this morning. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 6 this morning. If you want to turn there, we'll be reading uh, quite a few verses together this morning. I'll be uh, honest up front. that The approach that I'm taking uh, to this message is a little different than what I usually do. Uh, so I'm a little... Uh, more nervous than I already am about uh, opening God's Word together, but they did not uh, throw any fruits or vegetables at me after the first service, so I guess that means that it went okay. Uh, you may be wondering, if you're our guest here today, we want to send a special thanks. You'll be wondering where is uh, Pastor Jeff Berger. Uh, he and some uh, folks from our church and from our area are, are today uh, touring the Holy Land. Uh, they've been gone for a little while, have a few days left on that trip, and I understand that uh, at some point during their outings, uh, during their Sunday there, uh, some in the group uh, got to ride uh, some camels. So hopefully, maybe by the end of the week, we'll have a picture, maybe even some video evidence of Pastor Jeff uh, riding a camel as part of his uh, tour of the Holy Land. So uh, he has started a series here three weeks ago uh, entitled His Story. Uh, our theme for this this year, uh, throughout the course of this this calendar year 2020 at First Baptist is his story, your story. Uh, and by the end of this year, hopefully you will know uh, two things. One, what is God's overarching story? What is the narrative uh, that God is, is teaching us through Scripture? The love story, the love letter that he has for us from Genesis to Revelation. And, and where is our what is our place in that story? Uh, and so uh, today we're going to introduce another piece of God's story uh, to the mix. I want to catch those of you that maybe haven't been here uh, recently. Uh, maybe you're visiting for the very first time today and you're wondering, okay, where are we in his story? So three weeks ago, uh, we had a series that uh, started on his story. The message from uh, Genesis chapter 1 was brought, uh, that God brought order to chaos at creation. Uh, that you see uh, in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, when God creates the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void. There was chaos. And God brought order to that. Uh, brought water, brought land, brought animals, brought plants, created you and I in His image. God brought order to this chaos. He brought light to darkness and He gave life to a barren wasteland. And then two weeks ago, Genesis chapter 12, 15, and 22, the story continues with the character in the story Abraham. It was given the name Abram at first. God wrestled with him in his life God changed his name to Abraham, fulfilled some great promises through him. And we learn from Abraham's story that God is oftentimes doing something in our lives, even when we can't see it. And we learn from Abraham's story that our story, as it intersects with God's, is that maybe that there's something happening, that God is doing something in our lives, and sometimes we don't even see it. God is doing things in our world, and sometimes we don't even see that. And then last week, we looked at the, the story of Exodus. God bringing the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt, uh, releasing them. Pharaoh, let my people go, multiple plagues. Finally, Pharaoh is brought to his knees and he's forced to release the Israelites so they can go and live and worship their God as they desired, as God instructed to them. And God went big in this story. He delivered them in a big way. He delivered them in a powerful way. And, and what we learn from that story is that part of God's story is if he's involved in something, our vision for being a part of that with God must be God-sized. When we looked at that last week, that as God is doing big things in our lives, then our vision for that is God-sized. And we have a God-sized vision here at First Baptist Conroe that, that over the course of the next 10 years, you and your peers that attend the earlier service combine the group of body of people that is First Baptist Conroe that we would see at least... 10,000 transforming relationships, that you would lead someone to Christ, that you would disciple someone, that you would mentor someone, that a, a married couple would invest their lives in another married couple's life that's struggling and help them find peace in their chaos, or that you would mentor someone who's struggling with anger or with addiction or some other issue, and that God would bring peace to that chaos. And that the people of First Baptist Conroe, the collection of believers here, that we would be instruments of peace in the chaos that's in our world. And we're going to begin to see over the next several weeks what the cause of that chaos is. We're going to look at it briefly today, the sin that is in the world. And this sin causes separation between us and God. See, our story last week in Exodus left us with instructions for God's people. The end of Exodus is the instructions for God's people to build a tabernacle, this temporary moving place of worship that they they could build up, this tent, this house of worship, this sanctuary... Where they could come, the people could come together and pray and sacrifice and, and learn God's word and hear uh, from the very beginning of Scripture what was handed down through Moses and taught through, uh, through the early, early Israelite followers of God and what they could, could learn and glean from that. And they would come together in this, this place of worship. And so from the garden to Abraham... to to the setting for the story that we're going to look at today, Solomon, one of the sons of David, that you would see in this lineage, this line of of David, king over Israel, that you would see, that we see, that sin cuts God's people off from direct communication, from direct connection with God. And so today we're going to look at what God's story says about the sin that's in our life and how God created a way for us to reestablish that connection. And we're going to do that by looking at solomon's prayer to dedicate the permanent temple the physical spot that god chose and god gave the instructions to the israelites to build as a place of worship as a place to come to pray to sacrifice a come to to, a place to come and and give offerings to the priests that they could then bring before the lord and this prayer that solomon prays is a part of a part of second chronicles chapter six and so this morning, as we as we move from Exodus and fast forward where we were last week, about 480 years to the time of, of King Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live. We're going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 6. You can get uh, parts of this story also in 1st and 2 Kings. 1 Kings chapters 5 through 9 go into more detail about how the temple was built, the specifics for what it should look like, how it should be structured, what it should contain, and then how the people were to worship. In that temple. But Second Chronicles highlighting both events from, from first and second kings uh, takes time in chapter six to, to devote uh, a writing of, writing out of Solomon's prayer, starting in verse 12 of Second Chronicles chapter 6. And so I want to set the table for that by just telling you uh, what verses 1 through 11 talk about before we read this prayer together. See verses 1 through 11, Solomon is speaking to the people to the Israelites, and he emphasized over and over again, God's faithfulness to the people. He emphasized the things that God had for them and the ways that he responded to the promises he made to them. He says several times that God has fulfilled his promise to provide a central leader through a person, David, and a central place of worship, the temple. So I want you to keep those in mind as we, as we hear this prayer and the references to David and how God fulfills promises through the line of David and in this place, the temple. And so if you've, if you've got your Bible and you've got it open to Second Chronicles chapter 6, we're going to start reading together in verse 12. And just, again, like I said, full disclosure, we're going to spend a lot more time in Scripture uh, reading a lot more verses than we may normally do on a Sunday morning. So I'll break them up, kind of explain what's happening, but y'all uh, join with me as we read this. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, there's one in the pew in, in front of you. Uh, also, the words will be on the screen as well. And what I want you to do, uh, as best you can, Uh, with your Bible out, with with Scripture in front of you on the screen, or in the the Bible in the pew, just to, to place yourself around 959 B.C. So almost a thousand years before Christ would come onto the scene, in this place where Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live, is gathered in front of the Israelite people that are gathered there today. And he begins to pray this prayer. Starting with these these details in verse twelve that set up the scene, then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord, in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the court, and he stood on it. Then he knelt his knees, he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and spread out, spread out his hands toward heaven. This prayer, this prayer that we're about to read, is full of both praise. For God, but also petition of God. Solomon's gonna declare God's greatness, but also ask things of Him. And we'll see several of the things that He'll ask of Him. See, He had much to be thankful for, but He also had a lot that He needed to ask God of in this prayer. Beginning in verse 14, He said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it to this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk in my law as, as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, let your word be confirmed which you have spoken to your servant David. I just want to take a look at these four verses, 14 through 17. See, Solomon is highlighting that God's promise to David has been fulfilled. One of his sons, one of his offspring, Solomon, would be the one to fulfill the promise that there would be a temple, a place of worship built. And so you have a person, David, and you have a place, the temple, where God is fulfilling these promises. And they've come together together at this place on this day in the person and the prayer of King Solomon continues on in verse 18 but will God indeed dwell with a man with man on the earth behold heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you how much less this house that i have built yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea o lord my god listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house the place where you have promised to set your name that you may listen to the prayer, and that your servant offers to, that your servant offers towards this place, and listen to the pleas of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen from heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear, forgive. Now I could probably take the easy way out, and we could stop the text right there, and begin to talk about how this applies to you, because Solomon takes just a few words and summarizes his entire prayer. At the end of verse 21, he says, when you hear, forgive. And so we have a person, David, a place, the temple, and Solomon there asking God, when you hear, forgive. See, the sum of the substance of this whole prayer is summarized in those words. When you hear, forgive. And Solomon is going to repeat those words which, with each of the following petitions that he has for God. Starting in verse 22. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. The first thing that that, that Solomon petitions God for is is a relational request. He's asking that when, when God hears what's happening between the people, That he would judge accordingly. And those that deserve judgment would get it. And those that don't, wouldn't. There in verse 23, he says that the, the, the guilty would have his conduct brought on his own head. And the righteous would be vindicated by rewarding him according to his righteousness. Then we see in verses 24 and 25. If your people, Israel, are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and they turn and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you have given, that you gave them and to their fathers. Solomon's worried that the Israelites might be defeated by enemies and that defeat might be a result of their sin. And so he's petitioning on their behalf that that God would deliver them from that and God would protect them from that. And that God would, would cause, would allow Israel not to be defeated by enemies. Then he moves to talk about the the very lifeblood of of their existence. The rain that they need and the way that they need to take care of their crops and their land. In verse 26, he says, When the heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin, when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Verse 28, continuing, If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or all your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hand toward this house, the place, the temple, then hear from heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways for you you only know the hearts of the children of mankind that they may fear you and that they may walk in your ways all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers so whether it's drought by lack of rain whether it's a plague relief from famine whatever it is that the people are having physical suffering because of as a result of that that, that would bring on not not anger not doubt but that would bring on a a sort of a fear, a a respect, a reverence for God as a provider for them, as someone who is is bringing, as the song we sang today in the worship service, a way maker, that, that God would be their way maker and that God would provide a way for them to exist and to survive. Then he moves on and talks again about battle and victory. Starts talking in verse 32. Likewise, uh, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, that they may be called to know that this house, is the, the house that I have built, is called by, by your name. And then verse 34, if your people go out to battle against your enemies by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to you toward this, toward this city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. See, we see first the call for victory in battle. And then we see the opportunity for those that, that are outside the body of, of people that are the Israelites, those that are foreigners, those that are non-Jews, non-Israelites, that they may too have an opportunity to pray to this God and that there will be a way provided uh, for them as well. And then he says this about others, verse 36, that they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. You are angry with them and give, t- give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive and pray toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from your heavenly dwelling from your heavenly dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. We, sit, we begin to see the, 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 the way that God's story opens up uh, to you and I. In this verse, in these verses 36 through 39, we begin to see that, that sin is, a, is, a, is an essential part of the human condition. And there will be those inside uh, the Israelite faith, the Israelite body that would sin against God. And there are those that are outside that body, those that are non-Jews, non-Israelites that would sin against God. And that separation uh, that is put between God and man because of sin and, and Solomon is pleading on behalf of, of his people, but Solomon is pleading on behalf of everyone. Those will turn their hearts towards God. Would you forgive them if they repent? Would you forgive them if they repent? See, in this series, we're talking about God's story. Later on in this year, we'll look specifically at your story. One of our series that we'll be looking at later this year is your story at work. But also towards the end of this year, there will be a challenge for each of you to think about your story and how you share that story of what God has done, that forgiveness that He's brought in your life. And and our story is not possible without repentance. There, There is no way for me to have a story Without repentance. The only thing that I can bring to God's story is my sin. The only thing that that you can bring to the table of God's story is your sin. And something has to happen, something has to be done so that you and I can enjoy the place that God prepares for us. The title of today's message He prepares a place for us. There's There's a time and a place, there's a person that we'll look at in just a minute, that is the solution to this sin, this essential part of the human condition, where Solomon says, "There is if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. And continuing in verse 40 through 42, closing the prayer, now, O my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for David, your servant. So again, a person, David, and a place, the temple. They come together with this prayer of dedication where Solomon prays. And then you see in the remaining uh, words on on the page on my Bible, chapter 7, starting in there. I don't know if you have to turn the page or not where you are in your your text, but you see the response. God's presence fills the place in fire. And, And there's no denying that God is in that place, in that temple that day. And they respond by sacrifice. Pretty big one. 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep they give to the Lord, sacrifice to the Lord that day in response to God's goodness and greatness. And so as we think about this prayer, what can we learn from it? I think we learn two main things kind of in general. One, we learn some specific things about God's nature from this prayer. Uh, and then where we'll spend the, the, the remainder of our time together this morning, we, we learn about God's story. And I just want to tell you what those specific things are about God's nature first, because I don't want you to miss this before we talk about how this applies to and and what this means for God's story. Two things that this prayer teaches us uh, from verse 12 all the way to verse 42. God is holy and God is all-powerful. If you've grown up in church, you may have heard a word omnipotent. just means God is all-powerful. There's nothing that God doesn't have power over. And you see that all throughout this, this prayer of Solomon's. You see God's holiness, the references to the holiness of God and the, the power that he has to respond to and address these various petitions. And then, specifically, in verse 14, we see God's uniqueness. There is no God like you, Solomon says. We see God's loving kindness. We see in verses 18, uh, verse 18, his transcendence, his immensity, that, that he is everywhere. He is everything. He is infinite. We see his omnipresence. We see in verse 23, his justice, where he comes in and applies uh, justice in relational issues between one another. We see where he comes in and provides forgiveness in verse 25 and 27. We see his omniscience, that God is all-knowing. In verse 30, in verse 33, we see his grace. Verse 38 and 39, we see his mercy. So we learn about God in this prayer. But even more than that, we learn about God's story. And I think there are three key things that we learn about God's story that we can add to what we already know about His story. We can add to what we learn that God brought order to chaos. that God is at work even when we can't see it. That, that when God is involved, our vision must be God-sized. And then we learn some things from this prayer about God. First we learn is that, that God knew that His people would not keep the covenant but he offers forgiveness anyway. See, God had designed a way for the Israelites to worship him. God had designed a way for Israelites to connect with him, to have relationship with him. God had designed a way for them to do that, knowing that they would break that covenant. And God provided them a way to be forgiven anyway. And the second thing we see is that God knew his people would lose their land. He knew they would be exiled but He promised to bring them home. He was faithful to them. He was faithful in what He had promised through Moses, through Abraham, all the way up to David. And now in this time when Solomon is king, He was faithful in His promise in that He would bring them home. At times it was highly chaotic. At times the Israelites felt like there was was no other way. At times the Israelites felt like everything... Uh, was had ended, and everything they knew to be true was not true, and yet God found a way to bring them home. But God didn't just stop with the Israelites. Even in this prayer, we see that God has a plan for all nations to know Him. You know, most of us in this room are, are, are non-Jews. I would probably guess that probably all of us aren't Jews, and so that speaks to us today. That speaks to you and I this morning that God has a plan for you and for me. God has a plan for the people uh, that we come in contact with in Vancouver or New Orleans or Costa Rica or Columbia. God has a plan for the the people groups that the 3,500 plus Southern Baptist missionaries are called to reach all around the world. God has a plan for every person, every people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every race, every person. To know Him. And that plan involves a person and a place. And that person comes a few hundred years after this prayer. That person is Jesus Christ. See, God desires to meet with us, but our sin separates us from Him. God's story is all about bridging that separation between us and God. And He does that through a person named Jesus A person who comes generations past from the lineage of the King David. A person who you look at in Scripture and you can read all about what He did, how He loved, how He healed, how He forgave, how He provided a way, how He was the ultimate way maker when He went to the cross for us. Everything that is in God's story is about bridging the separation that's between us and God and Jesus was God's ultimate solution. And we'll begin to see as we march uh, through the rest of this series leading up to Easter what that looks like uh, for you and I today, for those that, that we come in contact with in our daily lives. And so as I think about where do I fit in this story? What is, what is God knowing that his people wouldn't keep the covenant, but offering forgiveness anyway? What is God knowing that his people would lose their land and be exiled, but be promised they were promised that they would be brought home? That God, what does God fulfilling these promises mean for, for me today? What does this mean for you? Well, I would venture to guess that every person in this room is in one of two places this morning. There may be some listening online through our streaming today that are also in one of those same two places. Maybe this morning you're sitting here, all of us, with the only thing we can offer to God's story is our sin. And we've got to deal with it in one of two ways. Maybe this morning you come to this room and you say, Alan, I, I, I will admit that there has never been a time and a place in my life where I've repented of my sin and confessed my need for a Savior. Maybe today is that day. Maybe today is the day that you choose to do that. I'd love to visit with you about that. I'll be standing here at the end of the service. Michael's going to join me as well. We would, one of us, either one of us, would love to visit with you about how you repent of your sin, confess your need for a Savior, and walk into a new relationship with a person, Jesus Christ. Maybe for many of you, maybe even for most of you, you come into this place this morning, you come to this place today, and you've done that. But as Solomon said, and he's not wrong about this at all, for there is no one who does not sin. Maybe you've brought sin into the room today, and you're struggling with, how how do I connect with God? How do I engage myself in His story? And that sin has created this barrier. And you need to confess that sin. You need to ask God to to cleanse you, to forgive you, to wash you clean so that you can experience the person of Jesus Christ for all that God has created him to be for you and for me today. You know, this story centers around a person, the line of David, and a place, the temple. And God provided his ultimate solution, Jesus, a person, so that you and I could know him, so that you you and I could be in a relationship with him so that you, could, you and I could experience forgiveness. Uh, but He also is going to create a place one day, a new place where what we did today, we come together to sing, to worship, to fellowship. Uh, what, what, what many other churches and many other languages and places all around the world are doing on their holy day, they come together under the name of Jesus and they sing and they praise and they pray and they celebrate and they rejoice together. There's going to come a day uh, when this chaotic, broken, messed up earth becomes that place where God is worshiped 24-7. And everybody there will bow to the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody will kneel before Him. And I just wonder, maybe if, if you and I, as we think about God's story and where this is going, obviously we have the end of the story. We can turn to Revelation and we can see and read about that glorious day and that opportunity. But I just wonder if maybe right here, right now in this place. Maybe there's something holding us back. Maybe there's something holding me, holding you back from all that God has in store for you to experience His story in your life today. In just a second, Nathan's going to come and just give you a chance to respond. And maybe just today is just a day where you don't need to sing during the invitation. Maybe you need to sit or stand with your head bowed and just, just say, God, I confess that I struggle with this sin. I need your forgiveness. I need you to cleanse me from this because I want to experience all that you have for me. I want what Solomon prayed for the Israelites for my life. I want you to hear and forgive. What Solomon said just at the end of verse 21, when you hear, forgive. So maybe God needs to hear from you today. Maybe he needs to hear from me today. as we prepare to to continue on this path that god is leading us on 10,000 transforming relationships uh, maybe there needs to be a little transformation happen in our own hearts this morning